Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. With Brian Siegel, I'm Curtis Wilson. Siegler, we are back from a little hiatus, man. How you doing? A little vacation. I'm well rested, man. I'm well rested. I'm Took a little week down in the mountains in uh, in North Carolina. Hit the lake. Hit up, uh, did a little detour up to Dollywood one day. Rode some coasters, had a good time. How was your time uh, back home, buddy? Back home was a lot of fun for a few days. Hung out with the family. Uh, went to the pool one day. Uh, my nephew is a hibachi master, so had some hibachi one night. Had a yes, great sir. time. It was really a great time. You know, a few days back home. And, uh, kids were good. Overall, they each got to stay up like past 11 o'clock consecutive nights. Um <laughs> For the oldest one, that's not a problem. For the little one who wakes up at 5 a.m. every morning, that's a problematic. Problem. Problematic. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was a lot of fun. Got back home, been to the pool a few times with a bunch of neighbors a couple times. It's been a lot of a lot of fun middle summer, man. And uh, there we go. Tonight, we missed a lot. We got we got a we got a loaded episode here, guys. We got a little bit of everything. We got some recruiting. We're going to touch on some interviews that we had, and then we're going to hit on. Uh, some of the two bigger topics uh, that have really come across the uh, the aisle here in the summer, which is the proposed 12-team playoff expansion and the name, image, and likeness. So essentially the new era of college football here. Yeah, a big new era of college football because um, it, it's changing. What we grew up with 25 years ago is no longer the case and – a lot of things we want to talk about tonight. But since we've been gone, guys, obviously some big-time things have happened. Let's start first with Ramon Brown committing to the Hokies, the 5'11", 200-pound running back out of Manchester here in the RVA. Um, big-time get. Four-star, a top 25 running back, a top 247 player. Yeah. What are we seeing from uh, Ramon Brian. I mean, the the big thing is going to be great, like perception wise. Let's talk about that first because getting a high caliber skill position player from the state of Virginia, that's something that we haven't really been able to pull in the last couple cycles. So it's nice to see us get back on that wagon. Um, when he committed, that was a big deal. That really kind of moved the needle in terms of in terms of perception. Now we're not saying that okay, well, all of a sudden all is well, but. Oh. You start grabbing guys like that consistently, that starts to change the narrative a little bit. Uh, and it shows that, you know, some of the new new guys on the staff that have been brought in to specifically recruit, starting to pay some dividends. It also shows that a little more investment is starting to pay off as well. So, um, you know, kudos to the guys that were able to, um, you know, you know work the recruitment for Ramon there. And I, I really like what he brings to the table skill set wise. Um, I think he's going to be a good asset should be a guy that's going to see some, uh, rotational carries probably in his second year on campus, if not his first year. So looking forward to see what he does for us. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Shout out to Smitty and Lechtenberg who were his primary and a secondary recruiter. Um, you mentioned earlier, Brian, you saw a lot of Herbert in this guy. I think you kind of look at his bill that makes sense. 
Also ran a four five forty back at the opening back in twenty nineteen, and back yep. then verified at about one hundred eighty five pounds at five foot ten. So you kind of look at his height, weight, speed; it, it, it checks out. So yeah, I mean, that, they got him listed at two hundred two. He's probably one ninety five, which I mean, that's that's about what you want for for that caliber player, especially that hasn't gotten into a. Um, collegiate weight program and nutrition program yet. So um, probably could easily add another you know, five to eight pounds to that frame uh, once he gets going there. And w- when I make the Herbert comparison, I'm more thinking of the size and kind of the skill set, not necessarily what what I project him to be in terms of, of output. But, I mean, Herbert, next level this last year for us. So it's really, I mean, that that's, that's a big... Uh, that's a big bar for someone to have to jump over. Um, so I'm not putting that on him, but I think just in terms of what I've seen on film and just the, the athleticism and the size, that's a probably pretty good comp. Absolutely. All right. We're the boundary corner podcast. We don't, everything's not sunshine and roses. We call it like it is day before or about six days later, Bryson Jennings, son of former tech Really good tight end back in the day, all biggies. Brian Jennings was down to us in Carolina. He picked Carolina, um, which, you know, of course, it it stings. He's a legacy. He's choosing to go elsewhere. Um, And it's also one of those things, too. Carolina's now got like 17 edge players. (laughs) Well, I mean, we we talked about the type of defense that they run. They need to they need to load up on edge, but also, um, this stings for several reasons. It stings because, as we'll talk about in a little bit, we are getting thinner on the defensive line, especially the defensive end position. Getting another edge guy in the building would have been huge going into next season. You talk about a legacy too. I mean. I know, I know North Carolina is on the come up. Everybody, everybody has them on the come up, but at the same time, you got, you got to land the legacies. You got to figure out a way, especially guys in your backyard ranked well in the state. Um, You got to close those out because right now UNC is doing a fairly good job of putting up a gate on their state. And we need to stop letting some of these guys get away, especially guys that we have, some inroads in already. It's true, man. And you don't know everything that behind the story, but again, it's the visual optics. Now for me, it's one of those, you lose them. It sucks. We need edge. Obviously we're going to talk about a few things later, but then you say you land Ramon and it's like, and you land Pernell. And for me, Brian, it's like that. But (laughs) if I sat here and told you, a month ago, Purnell's going to go somewhere else, but we're going to get Ramon and Jennings. Or Ramon's going to go somewhere else, but we're going to get Purnell and Jennings. I feel like the combo we got, the two of the three we got, is the better of the two of the three. Not knocking Bryson Jennings. He's 6'6", 235 off edge. It's like that. But Highland Springs is the best program in the state. Ramon Jennings is one of the highest rated players nationally in the state. What am I, am I trying to be hokey colored glasses or maroon colored glasses here? Or is it, should, I, I don't think so because I think if you look at, 
I think if you told me three weeks ago if we were going to land two of those three, I'd have been probably okay with it. Yeah. I think kind of some of the goodwill that happened from June rolling into July, you know, <laughs> once, once you get a taste of the goodness, you kind of start to expect it again. Um, and, you know, we're not going to win all these battles, especially when we go against a rising team like UNC or the blue, more blue blood programs. At the same time, like, like I was saying before, though, you can't have things that are already in your favor and then you kind of squander those things. So I think, I think if, if it wasn't the legacy factor, if it wasn't the in-state factor, I would have less of a problem with that miss, but it, it still troubles me a little bit. So got a message here our buddy robbie mac brown's a recruiting master be quiet robbie <laughs> but all is not lost all is not lost the next day one of the highest landing recruits this staff has ever got gunner givens the six foot five i'm calling him an athlete 270 pound prospect right there next door lord Botatot, four star Top 125 player in the country, top five player in the state. Brian, you've talked about it before. We have not got two top 10 guys in the state in over a decade. We're five months from signing day, but we've got two locked in. What do you think about Gunner overall? Gunner's a good grab for several reasons. Um, You know, when we talk about Ramon Brown and the perception, landing a guy like this in your backyard and with, with, where he was positioned in terms of the the rankings and everything that that says a lot um it says that we we got on him early we stayed on him um it 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 says that we sold virginia tech in the way that we need needed to for for this type of player and what i like about gunner is that he does give you some flexibility about where you're gonna where you're gonna put him because i think he has the potential to be a high quality interior offensive lineman uh guard maybe even a swing tackle if if necessary but i prefer him at guard uh but he also has a potential and i think where he's going to end up for a lot of reasons is going to be on the defensive line um he's kind of that tweener three technique big defensive end Uh, i think with his size and his athleticism at that size i think he could kind of hang out there at defensive end be a good run stuffer but also have enough speed to get on the get around the edge um, so I see him landing at defensive end, but either way, it's gonna it's a it's a pretty big get for the program, and definitely kind of stamps a month that uh, that that really turned out pretty well overall for the Hokies. Absolutely, big month on the recruiting trail, and you know currently the Hokies sit you know fifteenth in the country in the composite, third in the ACC, um, closing in on the eighty seven, and for you guys you know, who follow it closely, that 87 numbers, kind of a number, you know, if we're right near there, we're going to be in the top 25 where we were consistently for quite a few years. So let's hope that holds. Now, again, like I said, I ain't all sunshine and roses, man. But the transfer portal of uh, Robert Wooten and Alec Bryant, um, Brian, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Alec Bryant. I want you to read the Wooden, and we're going to follow up. So, Bryant, this was back on the 12th. Um, you know, basically, I want to thank BT for everything. With the heavy heart, I've decided to enter the transfer portal and move on to a different path. This has nothing to do with my coaches, 
or the program, but this is the best thing for me to do for me and my future go. God bless. Let you read the uh, quote. Yep. Uh, very similar, at least in the start there. I want to thank VT with a heavy heart. I've entered my name into the transfer portal. This has nothing to do with the coaches and the program. This is where I want it to be. This is because of an issue that was out of their hands and mine. I accept responsibility and will move on to a different path. I look forward to see what my future holds. And we're going to be talking about the Fuente interview text sideline in a little while, but Fuente got into it. Basically, there are two guys who are in a transfer portal who basically had to leave with, you know, with university issues. Yep. Um, the stories that we're hearing, it, it, it's a shame to me to think that if these two guys – for what we're hearing got suspended for the honor board and the judicial boards at Virginia tech might need to take a look at it because to me, it sounds like an archaic practice. Um, at some point, just, you know, if, if, if everything we know to be correct is correct. Um, this is kind of, this is a petty way to, to throw a year suspension on two kids, um, regardless of whether they're athletes or not. Um, you know, the, the fact that they're athletes, you know, definitely hurts us from a fan perspective, hurts the yeah. team from because they're not there with the team. But, I mean, I, I'd be calling bullshit on this if this was just my buddy that, you know, drinks beer every Saturday. I mean, this is it, – yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a messed up scenario for something like that to cause um, that much turmoil for, you know – at this, at this point, what, 19-year-old kids? I mean, it's a little yeah. ridiculous. but And it, it sucks because also we're talking about another, when I, I'm talking about the roller coaster ride. I mean, this this isn't necessarily on the staff, but this is still another, um, you know, downward trajectory that they have to now navigate yep. because it, it affects the depth and it affects – perception and it affects the you know texas to vt movement for what, what whatever you want to call it you know at this point it affects the perception of all of that um so i mean it's 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 not a good look even though it has nothing necessarily to do with controllable aspects that the the staff or the athletic department could have really um controlled here absolutely and then later on we're going to hit a couple things about the defensive end position now because obviously Robert wouldn't played in every game last year Alec Bryan played I think in five they were contributors and it yeah. hurts them up significantly um and a few weeks ago when we talked with Mike McDaniel defensive line was looking like a place of a lot of potential because we had depth now it's still some potential there but the depth is less so you know again the whole situation it's you know they both kind of said, you know, I accept the responsibility and everything, but it's just what we're reading. If this were to go back in, I hate to say this, if we were in college and that happened to me, oh, I'd, I'd, re I'd raise holy hell. Let's just leave it at that. All right, Brian. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, let's do a scenario, little little role play here. It's announced ACC Media Day. Notre Dame and Virginia Tech will be on ACC Network. What's your first thought when you heard that? A hey, Comcast, they're they're uh, they're talking to you. <laughs> hey, that was him. 
I didn't think that way. I was like, <laughs> what? Corbett, this is an ABC primetime game. And then 20 minutes later, I'm reading, oh, this deal gets to go re-up for negotiations starting in August to end in September. They are leveraging because they put us basically on ACC Network and they put a Clemson against BC game, which BC is being projected higher this year there. Yeah. So for me and Brian, we have the ACC Network. We're not affected. But a ton of people in the state of Virginia are on Comcast. So, um, you know, leverage. Yeah, pretty, pretty much I'd say, what, two-thirds of the Mid-Atlantic is on Comcast in some yeah. way, shape, or form. So, I mean, right in the prime uh, media coverage uh, footprint of the ACC is, you know, the probably – what 40 percent of the households in that area at least 40 percent of the people that still are on cable at least oh yeah are impacted by this so oh, oh, oh definitely i mean my cousin that i saw down in south carolina he is on comcast down in charleston so it's clearly affecting you know the entire acc footprint um and and then you know they get to leverage the Notre Dame game with us and basically say you don't get that you don't get those you don't get that many people so you're taking advantage of a multiple fan bases. And I know some people are saying, well, it's so easy just to click on somebody's thing and do it. And, but the issue is it's a lot easier just to click on your TV and go to the spot instead of calling mom and say, mom, I need your password. Yep. <laughs> I don't get the game. But um, I think that guarantees that is going to be a night game where if it was on ABC, I think that weekend, I saw like I think that's like A and M, um, Alabama maybe. It's a, it's like three that or four. Right. It's three or four big games that weekend where um, potentially we wouldn't get the ABC primetime slot. We'd get more of a three thirty, but this locks into a primetime game. Yep. All right. So first of all, uh, as we get into the interview with Jay Ham on some Saturday, shout out Billy, Pat, Grayson. You guys did an unbelievable job with Coach. Um, Coach Ham is just, we've said it before, he is an absolutely amazing interview. The energy he gives off, the way he, you know, orchestrates his stories are beautiful. Yeah. And there was a lot of good stuff in there. But me and Brian are focused on the season coming up. <laughs> we, are, we are. We are. We, we could talk a little bit about, you know, how – you know, Ham was a, a, about to go into the insurance business, and uh, <laughs> b b before Fuente sent him a text message, we could go into that stuff, and we can go into the you know how pretty much he was chomping at the bit to get back to Virginia Tech yeah. um, during that time at at VMI in particular. Um, but we're going to focus more on the, I guess, the football aspects. Um, some of that was kind of in the back half of the interview. I don't know how far everyone got into it, but it, I'm. It's, it was a great, what, almost two hours uh, total podcast. Yeah. So definitely uh, check that out if you haven't already. We're going to run through some of the back half highlights here. Um, well, Curtis, well, I'll, let you, I'll, let, I'll let you lead off here with uh, with some of the things you saw. Well, the or, first or thing heard. I heard and it caught my eye was one of the first positions he discussed was the linebacker room. Um, basically, the first thing he said, Dax Tisdale, absolute comp vets there. But these guys play – a lot of other aspects of the game. They play a lot of special teams. They're both valuable there. They get a ton of reps. So 
he started then discussing about the rotation of the linebackers and um, maybe a surprise to some, maybe not so much to me because reading on how good of a camp he had, Dean Ferguson's name came up. And uh, was that a shock to you, Brian? I mean, not a big shock. I mean, he had been kind of floating around um, from what we were hearing anyway, you know, kind of hanging in there and making a little bit of noise. So it was nice to see that that's catching the coach's attention there and that, you know, potentially we could see him in the rotation um, come the fall. Because, honestly, I mean, I like our frontline guys, but I'd like to see some other guys step up here because I'm a little concerned behind kind of the guys that uh, that, that we've seen play. So yeah. it's nice to hear some of these other guys are coming along as well. Yeah, you know, you, you feel like you trust Dex, you feel like you trust Tisdale, but, again, you want to see death, and when you start mentioning the names, that makes you feel good. Um, and know, he mentioned the maturity of, uh, Tisdale. of Tisdale. So that, 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 that's big. I know, I know we had, I think he had mentioned that previously. Yep. Um, I can't remember what, where it was, whether it was on, um, something that the Hokie sports did or whether it was something like that, but he mentioned that and that fatherhood is really, um, really kind of worked on Tisdale. It seems like he's a lot more mature and ready to kind of step up and, and take his game more seriously and take it to the next level. So I'm glad to hear that. Because, I mean, ability was never the problem with Tisdale. It was just consistency. So if he can get the consistency uh, lined up, man, he's going to be a, a pretty good player. Consistency and weight. Um, yeah. It's one of those things, too, because when you hear him talking about needing to help, if Tisdale's only at 210, 215, he, we are going to have to spell him some. You're going to have to pick and choose how much he plays because, by all means, you're playing a team that can really run the ball. As you get later into the game, Brian, you know, you, you can't have him out there every possession or they're just essentially they're just going to wear him out and he's just going to yep. become a body. They just move out of the way. So that was interesting um, that he mentioned that room first. Now, the next two positions, I wasn't shocked. He talked about safety and cornerback competition. And and he started rolling off the names of safeties. I mean, Devin Taylor, Tay Daly, J.R. Walker, Devin Hunter, um, and Keonta Jenkins. Safety is a strength now. Yeah, it's a real strength. With, with with Tay coming in to to shore up, and you getting Devin Hunter back. I mean, those, that's that's two big ones right out the gate. Uh, Keonta Jenkins got some run last year, uh, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a brief moment here, and, and this isn't necessarily football, but it definitely speaks to how Coach Ham does his due diligence in not only recruiting but just trying to relate to the players. Um, him talking about, you know, when he went to, when he was looking at Keonta Jenkins in high school, body language he didn't like initially, um, kept his helmet on the sideline, kept his head down between uh, series and all this stuff. But he actually talked to him. He was like, okay, well, you know, he keeps his helmet on, so he's ready to go. He helps him stay in, in the mindset of the game. When he's got his head down on the sidelines between series, he's running through scenarios, what he did well, what he did bad on the previous series, what he can do to do better next time out there. So, I mean, that was that was some good insight and also speaks to you can't necessarily take your initial view on a situation and say, okay, well, that that's what it is. Um, he, he's willing to dive deeper and, and get an understanding of the players, and that, I think that's big, and that, that helps them – relate to him because he knows that he's not going to just, you know, close the book on them um, just because we, you know, one bad se- series, one bad situation. 
Um, so I think that, that, that's big. That was, uh, that was a really good moment for me in the, in the interview there. Yeah. And, you know, Keonta last year came in, got a ton of valuable experience. And then how Ham thinks about that. He'll mention in the cornerback room again, competition. I look at a depth chart here and, you know, the All-American freshman Dorian Strong, he complimented talking about Jermaine Waller had a offseason to get fully healthy, big. Yep. Remember 19, it, it was kind of a discussion who was better, Waller or Caleb. And obviously Caleb's the bigger physical freak, but you feel like Waller's physical, maybe a little more football savvy because that's kind of been his position his whole career. You know, talked about Brian Murray, talked about – um you know, Armani Chapman talked about Nike Hawkins, which is very interesting to hear because that name wasn't mentioned last year. Um, yeah. So, again, we talked about it, you know, six weeks ago. Corner, you feel good because a lot of guys have reps. And, uh, you know, I think Jermaine Waller is such a key, not yeah. being the leader because with Divine Diablo gone, Waller kind of gets to step into that role as the leader of DBU. Well, I will say this too. And I mean, last year, just because of injuries, opt-outs, COVID, um, the Devin Hunter situation, the secondary was probably overall a weak area of the defense. And I feel like going into this season, even with losing the caliber player of a divine Diablo, we're in a much better situation in the secondary to the point where it's probably our strongest uh, unit on the defense going into the season. Um, Maybe not as top end as, uh, you know, with, with Amari Barno, probably a defensive end, probably being the, the the highest ceiling player. Yeah. Um, But I think Waller could potentially reestablish himself as that dominant player on defense. Um, we haven't even talked about Chamari Connor. No. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, th- th- this is, this is a, a stacked unit, but not only, um, a more veteran unit than last year, but also, um, I think top end, they have more talent this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now the next one he addressed, it was interesting how he addressed this because this was obviously the interview after Wooten and Brian had left. So we're, we're sitting here and he starts talking about how, you know, we do some things essentially he's saying to me off edge in our defense that we can't account for. And can we do it every play? No, but how he talked about that, you can see his mind's already working on, I might be a little thinner defensive end than I was before. I've got to start making adjustments. He mentioned he was starting to think about that while he was on vacation. And, you know, when you hear, you know, somebody say that, his head's in the game. It's probably never out of the game. And when he's talking about, you know, we get to do what we still do. We're, we don't have to completely change everything because we lost a couple pieces on yeah. the deep line. Yeah, and I think, you know, the defensive adjustment is going to be interesting just because, you know, as we've been talking about, I think front line, we're not so bad. It's it's the depth. Um, 
you know, we got probably about three or four guys we feel like we can count on. Um, we like to rotate six guys at that position. Probably. I don't know if we feel as good about that, especially now that Wooten and Bryant have, uh, have entered the portal. Um, I think Wooten was going to see some significant snaps this year. Um, you know, he played pretty much in every game last year. I think he was going to pretty much be kind of the the fourth or fifth guy uh, in that rotation this year. So he would have seen a lot more snaps this year. So that that's going to hurt. Uh, it's going to be hard to replace that. But, you know, I think he, he's talks, he talks about different things that he can do schematically to take some of that off. One of the things he was talking about is kind of giving, giving looks pre-snap and having something different that he's going to show to him post-snap, keep the offense uh, kind of on their heels and not knowing what to expect. Uh, but the other thing he talked about, and I think was, you know, maybe over some, some folks had some folks, not so much, but kind of binary defensive checks there. Um, you know, essentially depending on the look of the offense, um, you know, there's going to be, you either do this or do that. So, not only simplifying it, but also still giving some flexibility there, depending on the look, to kind of bring something different to the to the offense, different looks each time, so they they see something different. So I think that was something that he kind of talked about that was I think going to pay some dividends here in the fall, um, because I think the big thing last year was that I think there was too much new and not oh, yeah. enough not enough time to really absorb it and absorb it in the way that. Not only that, I mean, I don't, he, he talked about the coaching staff really not being 100% on the same page because yeah. right in the middle of installing the defense from a coaching perspective, all of a sudden you're doing that shit remotely. Yeah. And in person, that, yeah. That, that's huge. That's huge. Do you remember something? And this is in, in a way similar to that. He was discussing a lot of people said, well, why not just go to Bud stuff? And he made the point and he was like, you know, I knew Bud stuff. Mitty didn't know Bud stuff. Trace Clays didn't know Bud stuff. Although some people still believe Trace Clays was on an island all last year. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Cam did confirm he was in the locker room for the UVA game. Um, Bill didn't know Bud stuff. And as he made the point, Daryl played in Bud's system. You need to say, you know, close to 13 years before, but he never coasted and never – had to do it in a different way. So when he said that, um, something I'll, I'm going to close with here later, but when he said that, it kind of made more sense. Something else he said was, and it really caught my ear, was he talked about the layering levels of the defense. And he, he gave Bud his props saying, Bud should be the first assistant coach in the Hall of Fame, best defensive coordinator of all time. The system was unbelievable. But he made the point, and Brian – me and you have been watching for a long time, and it's true. Bud's defense was very high risk, high reward. Yep. How many times did we give up huge chunk plays, whether in the passing game or in the running game, because we were either playing cover zero, cramming the line, somebody either misses a gap or they missed the press. The one that always gets me, I talked about it 30 minutes before we jumped on tonight, y'all. ECU 2014, we tie the game late. <laughs> and all we got to do is – it's like a minute and 12 left, I think. If somebody can yeah. look up that game, let me know. It, it, was, it wasn't much time left. And then the only thing I said is, like, the only thing we can't do, we can't give up a huge play. We give up a huge play, they're going to win the game. We literally were in a cover one 
playing press. We give up an over the top, they win. <laughs> Every time. close game, big play, Every yeah. And, and, hey. and so when he's saying that picture, I think he's. we're still going to see some. Are we going to see some cover zeros and he's going to attack? Yeah, we're going to see some cover ones. But I think, Brian, the point that you've made last year and this year is we're going to see what type of coverage? I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more zone. Um, and you're going to see a lot more zone just because that's the way – Countering Bud's defense was to attack the defense at different levels. So we were fairly good at containing the run, and we at least had men in place to take away the deep stuff um, as long as we didn't get beat. But what you didn't have is if, you know, you got all those guys running deep with the receivers and now you've got a quarterback that breaks contain and there's just a big space of nothing for about 15 or 20 yards. That's the Maryland game, I think, the same. <laughs> thing, that freaking slow quarterback. We had no one there to get getting like 89 yards that game. Yeah. We, we were at Big House watching that game, weren't we? I think we were. Screaming. I think we were. Upset. But so you kind of see – the vision that we're going to have levels. And to me, what he is, he, I mean, he's, he's kind of already telling people. <laughs> <laughs> Our buddy Robbie, he wanted to puke at that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, and it wasn't uh, from j- drinking the uh, the beam. Well, it is. But what he's saying is the modern era of college football is a lot more underneath stuff. You We've seen – you know, air raid concepts in the last 15 years are in everybody's system. Air raid concept, RPO. I mean, those things are designed to really attack the three levels of, well, hence, of the defense on a given play. And I think that's the thing that we're not talking about is that, well, you know, it, it's not just, okay, well, you know, you're, you're, you're stabbing short here, you're stabbing deep here. I mean, a given play in the RPO system can really kind of attack those different levels uh, depending on what the read the quarterback gets and what he decides to do with the football. Yeah, and as um, Ham said, that RPO stuff was essentially done to counter the Bud Foster defense, and I agree with that. All right, well, let's kick it. Off of Jay Ham on the coach view with the TSL interview. Great job by Will Stewart and by Chris Coleman there. And Fu just seems super comfortable with this interview. And let's start first. And this is how you know when he's comfortable. Very early in there, they're talking about recruiting Virginia and how it's getting better and, you know, landing places and the staff and the focus he gave shout to Smitty, Lechtenberg. And then he said, just because you're from Virginia doesn't mean you can recruit here. We've seen that not work out. Like, Jesus Christ, shots fired. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure who that was subtweeting, but he was subtweeting somebody. Oh, you know. um, we're, we're not we're not gonna throw names out there. Yeah, I have a feeling y'all know who <laughs> those, but immediately you see that, and it's it's one of those things. It's it's kind of true. Again, the wins we've had this year in the state have been really big, and again, the comfort level to just come out and say that you knew it was going to be a good interview from right there, very early on in the process. Yeah, well, I mean, once the comfort levels kind of drop there, and I mean, we we saw the juxtaposition with media day and we know that that's a different animal um and i think will even talked about he always seems more comfortable in the breakouts after 
than yeah. the actual um, fishbowl. So, yeah. Well, the fishbowl, you don't know what you're getting. So it makes a lot of sense. You know, and the next piece that he said, Brian, that kind of we talked about is he is reviewing or he views recruiting now as a twofold approach high school and the portal free agency. And we've talked about it before. And he, and he talked about how they're, you know, continuing to build the recruiting staff. And he kind of made it seem to me in a way that if, if he's here, you're going to essentially, as you've mentioned before, Brian, these are our high school. This is the portal. Yeah. And I have a feeling, too, the portal staff will probably be in charge of talking to guys on the roster if that's the way it goes. But I like that concept. Yeah, and I liked – our approach a little bit more this off season than last only because um, while, you know, going out for some big fish to feel, fill the holes that you have on your roster, like landing a Reed or landing uh, Blackshear and a Herbert. I prefer if we're going into the portal to kind of be more of a depth move with potential to be a starter, not, we're counting on you to be the guy or we're up shit's Creek. Um, so if we're going to use the portal and use it well, I think that's the way we need to keep continue to um, continue to work because we can't book on finding starter level and potentially star level talent in the portal every year yeah. uh, to, to, to buoy our team. So, you know, getting, getting a Tay daily, um, you know, getting, a Bob Schick. I know he was a uh, Juco, but Jordan Williams. Yeah. This kind of that more of a star. Yeah. Or, 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 or Johnny. I mean, I think that that's the type of players you need to be bringing in. Not we're bringing in Herbert and Blackshear. And if one of those two don't bust, we're in big trouble. Um, so I, I like this approach better. And it also means that you have to focus on doing the recruiting, the high school recruiting the right way. And so I think we're seeing some of the benefits of that come, come through as well. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think you have to look at the portal. I want to say similar to how the more well-ran NFL organizations are the guys you recruit are the guys you want to be on this, that you want to be your stars, but you know, there's going to be guys who just are buried on the depth chart and eventually say, I just need to get on the field. I'm probably good enough to play at other institutions and I've got to go there because I need to show tape. In the NFL is you look to go depth. I still wait for y'all are hilarious out there tonight. Right, well, let's jump over to this. Um, an announcement. Um, I don't, I think after everything that had happened, not shocking, um, you know, Wilfred Panay, the you know tight end recruit last year from France is switched over officially. It's actually updated on the Hokie website today, which is shocking because apparently there's timely updates. Timely updates. There's You'd other love to see move positions that still have not been switched. <laughs> um, I, I don't think this is a shock, but a couple things that Coach Fu talked about was a the athleticism of Wilford, but the other was the story of. Literally, when it's 16, he comes from France over. He doesn't speak a lick of English, learns English, goes to a preparatory academy in Connecticut, 
And, you know, and he said, kind of the way I got it was like, if this kid had been an American born kid, his recruitment would have been significantly higher. Yeah. All those, not red flags, but what do you call them, Ron? I mean, barriers. I, I think yeah, barriers yeah. would probably be the, the, the best way Definitely. to say it. Yeah. I mean, there, there were barriers to his recruitment. Um, and, you know, we're talking about a, a player here that is versatile. So, I mean, you like to see that. You like to see versatile players. The roster in general has been moving to more versatile players. Um, we see it how we're recruiting. We're seeing it how we're deploying. Um, I'm still offensively still wanting to see more of that, <laughs> but that's, I, I digress. Um, him switching over to defensive end is big, not only because of the holes that we have uh, created with some transfers and things like that, but also we get to see this guy's athleticism because we do have some other tight end depth that he's, he's not, he probably wasn't going to see significant snaps this year. He can help us on defensive end. Uh, he said he wasn't necessarily done at tight end, but, the, the need position going into 2021 is going to be defensive end. So I'm looking forward to see what he's able to do since he does have, um, you know, some experience there. This isn't a, an Amari Barno situation where he's picking the position up from, uh, from ground zero. So um, hopefully he, he jumps into fall camp and uh, finds a good role. Oh yeah. Definitely had experience there in high school. I mean, his last season there while playing in both ways, 47 tackles. 15 and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss, three forced fumbles, and he blocked a punt. Um, and he also the, – the big piece, a lot of people were – you know, a lot of people mentioned how excited they were about him was he wrestled. And usually when you hear a wrestler, you, you think more defense and offense. So I think it's, it, it's a great chance for him. Um, maybe the potential – you know, with, with the guys he's working with on that line, the experience with Price and Tierlink, maybe to take steps like Barno did last year under Tap and Tierlink. So we don't know. We can only hope. All right. Now, also, did you notice when he talked about that, the laugh came out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anytime you hear the food laugh, you know he's comfortable as well. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm been, I got the roster up here, Brian. All right. Pull it up. Tell me what we got. Okay, he mentioned, first of all, there's 37,000 running backs on our team. There's three running backs who have a potential, freshman running backs that have potential to play this year, and I'm going through here, A, there's so many of them. Who do you think he's talking about? Give me give me one name that you would say that guy could probably play this year. Oh, man. Kenji, um... Brunson, Malachi Thomas. I'd say Kenji has the best chance to get into the rotation. Uh, and a lot of that's going to depend on somebody else we're probably going to talk about. And that's going to be Keyshawn King. If, 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 if Keyshawn King, um, he said he, he's still working on his consistency. If Keyshawn King is consistent, then more likely those freshmen are going to see less time. Um, because he mentioned Jalen, he mentioned... Raheem Blackshear, but I think Raheem Blackshear is going to be working as much in the slot if as he is in the backfield. So this is going to, dep in terms of being the number two guy, the guy that's getting the spell carries, the guy that's getting um, situational carries, it's down to Keyshawn King, d depending on where we are on the field, uh, Marco Lee probably in short yarded situations, yeah. and then 
one or two of those freshmen that step up. I'm thinking it will be Kenji. Yeah, he mentioned Marco Lee's ready to play this year. He said last year it was a combination of learning the playbook plus um, getting in physical shape. Um, the King thing, he mentioned it. He, I think he said this every year about King, or at least last year, it's the consistency of Keyshawn King. You know, we, we've seen him make some eye-opening plays and then just kind of go away. Um, Brian, I swear to God, if they run Raheem Blackshear like they did last year, <laughs> we're going to go to Blacksburg. We're going to stand at Merriman with big signs, and you're going to write on there, Blackshear is not a primary running back. Stop it. I mean, if you're calling plays that consistently get him outside the tackles or the ball in the passing game in space, I have no problem with it. If you're telling me you're going to run inside zone with him, you know, five, six times in a row, I'm going to scratch my head and look at you like you got a hole in your own head. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I like Raheem Blackshear, but he does not have the between the tackles vision um, that, that, especially Herbert had last year, but I think in particular um, th- that you're looking for in terms of consistency. But he, he does have really good uh, vision in space. So you, you want to get him outside the tackles. You want to get him the ball in space. You want to throw the ball to him from the slot. You don't necessarily just want to line him up and, and run dives and inside zone. Yeah, we have plenty of running backs. We need – Although somehow David Hale put us one wide receiver tight end combo. I'm still trying to figure that out. But talking about wide receivers, he mentioned that Dwayne Lofton, Jalen Jonas studs. Coach Fuente, if they are studs, then I should see them on the field significantly this year. If they are not on the field, choose your words better or figure out what's going on the offensive side of the ball why they're not there. Because now, after hearing Braxton earlier today in an interview, Braxton this offseason has been working a lot with Trey, Tay, James Mitchell, Eam, and Jaden, and Caleb. That's a good core. Yep. But if you're saying those two guys are studs, also, <clears throat> let's go back to JM for a second. Dallin Wright was killing us in the scout team last year. Brian, you, me and you talked about it, and you were like, he's killing y'all, so why? <laughs> well, I said, I said, you know, whether he was killing him or not, I mean, we had trouble getting Changa Hodge the ball for whatever reason last year. How were we going to get Dalen Wright the ball as well? So th- that was my frustration. I, I don't think we necessarily lack talent on that side of the ball. I think no, we down. need to be better at getting separation, and I think we need to be better about – getting the ball to our players that can make plays because we got some athletes out there. Um, especially, you know, some of the guys we got Jaden pay coming back. I'm looking uh, really forward to seeing what he can do in this offense because having that speed is an X factor and that athleticism. Um, even if he's still not quite the crisp route runner that we want him to be, we need someone that can just take the top off, stretch the defense get separation from athletic cornerbacks. And I think he can be that guy for us. So I'm looking forward to what, to see what they can do, but I'm not, I'm not David Hale here and thinking that we are <laughs> crushing the wide receiver game either. I, th- I think we have a, 
a solid front front few skill guys and then a lot of guys that have talent but are unproven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he also addressed the offensive line. Um, you know, he mentioned kind of kind of mentioned Tyrell Smith is going to get some probably get the first run at right tackle with Silas being in a pretty good position for right guard. Um, but then as he's talking, he let some slip, Brian. He let some slip. He said, well, you know, Brock can play guard and tackle. And Brian probably went. Guard and tackle, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and obviously we don't want to be in a situation where we need to play Brock at tackle. But if Brock is the best tackle we have, you play Brock at tackle. That's my opinion. I, I want my best five linemen on the field. Whatever my best five combination is i want them on the field and if that happens to be brock hoffman at right tackle so be it obviously that's not ideal nobody wants to be in that scenario so i think a lot of this is going to depend on what we get how quickly uh bob Schick could pick up uh the tackle position knowing what we have in parker clements um once those things start to flesh out a little bit then i think we will know if that is even an option, something that's on the table. But until then, and, and I know we talked about uh, Tyrell coming back as well. Um, so once we kind of see how those three shake out, I guess that's when Brock would probably come in the in the picture there. But you know, as I said, I, I want my best best five combination out there. So if that ends up being Brock at tackle, so be it. I'm I'm really hoping about three weeks from now. He announces the starters on the line. You know, I, I really hope that's done because I think for us, I want a vision of who's out there. Um, and, and it's a way to nitpick, yes, something to talk about. But you get an idea because when him when I'm saying that, and then when I'm kind of inferring that Silas kind of had right guard locked down, it makes you feel a little better because then you see the depth build a little bit. Well, Johnny will be back up center. Brock can kick the tackle or guard, whatever way we need him. More depth, which is our biggest concern on the line. Not necessarily the first starting five. First starting five, we feel good about. All right, Brian. Also, if you if you feel good about Brock and you feel good about Silas, then that gives you more of a swing. Yes. Because uh, at, at least then you feel better about, okay, well, if we need to move Brock out, we've got a solid core here. Um, and then you still got a couple guys behind them that you at least feel somewhat okay about in, uh, especially Caden Moore. Um, sounds like he had a pretty good, uh, yeah. a pretty good spring as well. So. Absolutely. You're the end of the interview with, uh, Will and Chris talked about favorite movies and Brian, I know this one super close to your heart. Talked about favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption. That is your, as long as I've known you, that's been your jam, man. And, uh, Shawshank, you, you yeah. can never go wrong with, uh, with, with, with Shawshank. I mean, you got, you got Stephen King writing the short story, um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Shout out Stephen King. Um, and then, I mean, the movie that started Morgan Freeman as the narrator. Yes. <laughs> and he was unbelievable in it. He and Tim Robbins, just the story in general, it's it's one of those that if it's on, you can, if you, I've probably seen it more than 10 times. You've probably seen it more than 50. 
Is that a lie? <laughs> I, I mean, there was a time where I was like watching it like once a month. All right, so um, he's probably closer to a hundred folks, <laughs> but it's his jam. Now the other one he talked about Pulp Fiction. I mean, the, the just that, that entire movie is great. I mean, there, there's just so many moments. There's so many lines. Um, I mean, it was Tarantino um, just pulling his dick out and saying, "We're doing this." And I mean, it was, yeah. it was a it was it was it was, a, it was a fun ride and. uh it seems like Fu really likes movies made in 1994. He was only missing the Forrest Gump for the trifecta of the 1995 Oscar <laughs> Oscar run there um, of, of like the big three from that year. So it's very true. And that, actually, I go back and you think 1994. I mean, obviously, those movies were unbelievable. I mean, you know. By the way. Another, this is just, this goes back to us being kids, but Dumber Dumber was 94 too. I love it. <laughs> the original Dumber Dumber, I mean. Great year. Not, 94 is a great year, everybody. A really great year for movies. I don't even think that's a, uh, a question on it, man. Um, I, I want to close this out with one thing. These interviews were great. These interviews were great. These interviews were six months too late. And we we focused a lot on what's happening now. Um, Jay Ham gave some of the backstory of how he got to Virginia Tech. Fu gave some little little peek behind the curtain, <laughs> little peek behind the curtain <laughs> of what was going on, especially the COVID when they were talking about we had nobody at camp. Yeah, we were contact traced. If this had been said six months ago, after Whip keeps him, after they talked. I think a lot of us would sit here and say, oh, wait a minute, for eight weeks of camp, you like had no bodies. You couldn't essentially install what you wanted to install on your side of the ball. Um, and then obviously some of the stuff taking place during the season. <laughs> Christina Garnett has said it numerous times. We are ran so piss poor with public relations. This should, <laughs> this, this should become this should become a staple in February for them. A staple. Sit down with TSL. Sit down with whoever you're comfortable with and shoot the breeze for 90 minutes. Well, I think the, the, I think the problem is that, you know, let's go back to access in general. True. Um, it's true. If you're not communicating with us, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Full stop. And yeah, I think no. that that's part of the problem. And sometimes it's too little, too late. If you get out in front of things, this, I mean, this is PR shit that Christina was talking about. This, this is, if you get out in front of things or you talk about things with people, you spread more goodwill. People are more willing to give you the benefit of the doubt or give you a little bit of leash. Um, but devoid of that, People make up their own stories. People make up their own minds and there's nothing to prove them wrong. There's no, there's no other counter information out there. So you're letting someone else write the narrative, whether that's true or not, you're, you're, you're forfeiting your, your version of the story. It's true, man. And that's one thing that they have got to understand. They've got to have people in there telling them, get in front of it, talk about it because 
we would have probably had a lot of empathy, especially the training camp shit, man. Because that's insane to think eight weeks and you have little to nobody there. All right, guys, before we get into name, image, and likeness and the playoff talk, we're going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. All right, guys. So next up here, we are going to be looking at name, image, and likeness. It is big. It is here. It ain't no going back. It ain't much governance to it right now. But, Brian, <laughs> I'm just being real. You are. How too late is this? When, when should this shit have really started? It's 2021. What's your the, when it should have started? The NCAA should have begin, begun talking about this and starting to write the rules of this a decade ago. They're at least five years late implementing it. <laughs> and they dragged their feet. They waited for the states. Well, they, they wanted the conferences to step up on their own um, instead of doing it themselves as they should, there needs to be a unified system. You can't let each conference write their own bylaws when you are under a governing body already. It's stupid. Number two. (laughs) So they wait, they wait, they drag their feet. State starts passing shit. People start suing them. People start suing the states. It gets all the way to congressional hearings and they get completely raked over the damn coals by Democrats, Republicans, and everyone in between. It's like one of the few damn things that both sides have agreed on in the past five years was that the NCAA completely stepped in shit on this. So now that they've been called out by that, and now that other States are putting things in place and those are going live effective July 1st, The NCAA says, all right, any state that has rules, you follow those. Any ones that don't, here's some very fucking loose guidelines to go by until we decide what this actually should look like. Yeah, to me, you say 10 years ago when they should have started, the writing was on the wall to me about five years before that. Mid-2000s, early 2000s, when you had, go back to Mike Vick. And think about him as a personality. Then look at the Miami teams. And then you had Vince Young and you had the USC teams and then the Gators teams. Right there, that's when it should have been, Jesus, if 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 these guys had something they could make a lot of money in, it's eventually some it's gonna break through in some way. So really, probably 20 years ago is when they really should have started thinking about it. And then 15 years ago, 
Brighton lost, so 10 years ago was in, but they, they completely screwed it up. Yeah. Hella late. Um, but, I mean, I'm going to say this. I am all for this being in place. All for it, yeah. Um, because. You've been for it for a while. I've been, I've been on record here. I've been on record on Twitter. I've been on record at the barbecue on Saturday or Sunday. Um, <laughs> if you can't go out there and use your abilities to make money off of your own brand or your own abilities, like what everybody else gets to do that. I mean, we had, uh, a, you know, there was there was people that couldn't even you know sell a t-shirt that they made even if it had nothing to do with football nothing to like they, they couldn't sell fucking t-shirts because yeah. the NCAA says no can't do that like it's just ludicrous shit um and i mean that you know wh- whether whether you want to get on board with players having agents and all that stuff you know, they should always have been able to use their abilities like everybody else that's on scholarship in every other um, situation at the university to use whatever talents they have while they're there to capitalize on their abilities. It's true, man. There's everybody, no reason not to. Everybody else can do it. Why can't they? So, I mean, but it's very unfortunate that the NCAA drag their feet. It's unfortunate that they're not right now taking responsibility. I would have rather them rush something together in the two weeks they had than just said, all right, have fun. It's like they, they, they put no effort into it and they also take no responsibility and they're not going to take responsibility for any ramifications that come from it. Oh no. It's just facts, man. They're not taking any of it. And, I mean, Fuente straight called them out in the interview. said they, they just punted this. They punted this to the state. They punted this to the schools and the kids. And, and it's going more and more of what is the NCAA even here for? What are they here for? And it's coming to a point, especially with the OU Texas news coming out and, you know, Jim Phillips saying yesterday – in that interview, we're a 15-team conference. And it's like, to me, I think the Power Five for football, maybe not for everything. I think in the next 10 years, the Power Five, and maybe even the FC or FBS as a whole, might just break off and say, bleep them, we don't need them. We've got conferences. We can have governing bodies here. We can elect a president of our organization, and we can run. I think it's heading towards that because they don't do anything. They don't. And then when they when they do something, it's more of, well, he can't be eligible this year because he's three miles outside the range. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, are you kidding me? But JT Daniels can transfer to Georgia. So – with, with yeah. no questions asked, it's like they're freaking worthless. I mean they've they've been worthless. You know the 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 picking and choosing of when to put in sanctions and when to penalize and not penalize and ban and not ban. Uh, it's very selective. It feels very, at best, um, haphazard. At worst, uh, preferential to certain institutions. Um, 
and just there's there's no consistency with the application of the rules there's rarely any enforcement of the rules and at some point you got to say what the fuck are you actually doing <laughs> they don't know what they're doing other than making a lot of money that's it they're making a lot of money for themselves mark Emmert's salary is asinine and and now because of them not taking responsibility hunting it not jumping on this a decade ago i mean it's the wild wild west right now it's, it, it, it's it, the wild it, wild west um the, again they, they they've let they for the states that didn't actually put something in place it's it's become very much the wild wild west for the states that did put something in place now they're up against can we do, can we enforce it should the ncaa enforce it who's enforcing it um, if, if some other, if the other states are doing it, should we even care whether we enforce it or not? If they're still within whatever the NCAA governing body rule, like it's, it's a very loose, like when, when I was thinking of, of, of this being in place, I was like, okay, well they'll take, you know, a year or two to, to come up with what this needs to look like. And, you know, a bunch of different eyes from people across the country and different backgrounds and all that stuff. will have a look at this before it goes into place and agents will get to weigh in on it. And like, there are so many people that need to have some sort of commentary on this before we threw it out there. And I, and I wanted it to start as soon as it should, but it's solely in the NCAA and it's in, it's in their court that this is, going the way it going and, and, and kudos to the athletes because they're, they're getting paid, um, based on their abilities, based on their marketability, based on their brand, their image. And, you know, kudos to them. I know Saban was talking about, uh, the, the, the quarterback that really hasn't uh, played very much at this point. <laughs> Maybe a snap. Bryce Young getting close to a million. Close to, point. close to a mil. And eight, that's eight, eight plus figures. So, Yes, I mean that's crazy to think he's going to get seven plus figures, and he's not—he's not stepped a foot on the field. He's just the Alabama quarterback. Now, I, I, I find it like him go get the money, make sure you get a tax attorney because you will need one at a million dollars because every legal entity, Alabama state governments. Um, also, I hate to tell him this: if you're playing in the states of Mississippi, endorsing anything, Georgia, Florida, wherever you play. Those states are probably going to come after you for their tax money, especially if you do something or say something while you're on that state. And then there's the federal. So, Bryce Young, make sure you get a good accountant. Because if not, I do not want to see you getting hauled away. I don't see anybody getting hauled away to jail before the season starts next year for tax evasion because somebody didn't pay your taxes for you. And that's why you need to trust your agent because your agent is the person that can kind of guide yeah. you through some of this thing. Yes. Let, um, let's and and you and you feel like most of these schools. We know the Hokies have their program started up for these guys that they're they're going to them. They're getting the advice that they need. Um, but Brian, you saw something North Carolina's doing. You said Virginia Tech needs to start that ASAP. I mean, yeah, they partnered with the Lyston Group to use UNC's official trademark and logo in conjunction with name, image, and likeness uh, opportunities for collegiate athletes. Um, so that's essentially not necessarily directly representing the university, but using the university-related 
trademark and logo in relation to what they're doing. Um, Michigan, I think, followed suit with something very similar. Um, it, I mean, like I said, we're really in the early stages here, and some of this is going to be, all right, well, we're going to push these boundaries as far as we can push them and then see what happens. And I think we're, we're in that boundary-pushing territory right now. And Robbie, in our comments here, brings up a good point. And uh, Fu actually talked about this during um, his discussion relating to name, image, and likeness. But, you know, worrying about whether whether the name, image, and likeness stuff will get in the way of preparation or yeah. doing the right things from a football perspective. And, you know, he said, I, you know, I hope that the, that what we're doing isn't going to impact – how we're how we're going about our business and, and i think as long as everyone's doing what they need to do outside of the preparation that they've been doing previously this will go off well um yeah but I'm, I'm 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 hoping that uh that it does because like i said i think it's been a long time coming um and i'm just sad at this point that the ncaa didn't take any more responsibility in rolling this out in a way that I think would have helped the players and the institutions with a lot of uncertainty. True. Let me ask you this, Brian, because you made the point there about does it interfere? Does it interfere with classes? Does it interfere with your practice schedules, your lifting schedules, your team meetings, et cetera, et cetera? Um, really, the classes are important because that's going to also be a thing. If a guy gets – you can't play this week. Why? You haven't went to class all year. There, <laughs> you're essentially academically ineligible. But let me ask you this, Brian: Do you think there's going to be animosity into the locker room? Bryce is about to get a million dollars in endorsements, and let's say the guy protecting him on the left side has got twenty thousand, and sitting here look at him saying, "Dude, if I didn't do my job, they'd cream you. You'd break your leg. You'd never play again." Hmm. Maybe I should just slip on this one slide step. I don't think that'll happen. But do you see animosity inside of the locker room, or what do you think, Brian? I don't think so. And I'm going to mention a couple scenarios here. Um, the first is, I mean, there's already have and have nots in the locker room. Anybody that says there isn't is is kidding themselves. I mean, whether it's favorites, whether they're star players versus. Um, you know, guys that are more role players on the team. I mean, there's already a pecking order to some degree in a locker room. Um, some people just, you know, they, they know their roles, they do their job and they don't care about it. And sometimes things like that are why people have been transferring to other, other programs. So that shit's already there. Uh, number two, I want to say this about Braxton Burmeister. Um, trying to get his offensive lineman some, some, some free food, uh, for name, image, and likeness. That's the type of shit, like, there, there's going to be camaraderie. The, the people that are the star players, they're going to recognize and call out those guys that may be more unsung. Uh, and, and I think that's going to help this situation, whether it's even just, even if it's just the call out, even if nothing comes from it, the, the fact that they're, you know, the, the appreciation is being shown, I think, is something uh, but also, if if things do come from it, I think that it, it's it's kind of a hey, well, we've got these stars, but you know, there's some other guys here that are a big part of why we're doing what we're doing and how we're having success on the football field. It's true. Um, 
Are, are we going to create unbalance? Is football going to be way up here and every other sport going to be way down here? Or do you think it's going to be – because I don't think it's going to be that way. I think it's just going to be individual. There's, yeah. There's those gymnastics girls that – she's making more than Bryce is right now. Yeah, I, I think it's, there's not going to be imbalance in terms of how – like I think you need to be wary of what role boosters have in the recruiting aspect of it necessarily. Yeah. But in terms of the haves and have-nots, I mean, bags have already been dropped – getting kids to come places under the table. Um, I think what you're going to see, I think Fuente actually talked about a little bit, you know, he he essentially says the pie, not the pie isn't going to get bigger. It's just going to get spread directly. Some of it's going to get spread directly to the kids, which could impact the university to a degree. But I think there's going to be, because being a booster is getting redefined right now. Right. Yes, it is. So, so, while I agree that some of the money that from the big time guys, instead of going directly to the university might get put into directly to the players for some name, image and likeness things. I think you're going to see more smaller folks step up that hadn't necessarily been giving to the university or only were giving a little bit to the university start to give more because they can give more to an individual that they feels like not only you know, they feel like represents their school well, but also that can do, you know, good things for their business, bring people to their business. So I think there, there's things, you know, the, the mutual relationship is still there. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about imbalance. I mean, I think what's going to happen, particularly, actually in all sports, I think you're going to see people like, you know, think about J- J- Jadavion Clowney. He was a sophomore. He should sit out his year. What's probably going to start happening is you're going to kind of have guys who are – this guy's a first-round pick no matter what. There's going to be companies coming in to get them on board before they leave college. And that's going to happen in probably football, men's basketball, baseball, um, to a lesser extent some of the track and field athletes on both men's and women's. Um you know, because then they're going to be like, well, we can do this. Like, uh, who's the swimmer girl? She was at Stanford. You know what I'm talking about? Katie Ledecky. Katie Ledecky, yeah. At Stanford, right? Yeah. Not an amateur. It's, it's weirder with Olympics, but now it's almost – because we have this rule, if this was four years ago after what she did and then she went to Stanford, Katie Ledecky would be a multimillionaire by now. She might already be. But there's that opportunity. Unbelievable track star goes to Florida. He's going to be in the 100 meters. We're going to go ahead and give him a bunch of money because we want him to promote our product. So I think across all lines of sports, it's going to help. And wherever you go, it's going to be the athlete. It's not going to be necessarily where they go. Well, I think also because, you know, we, we talk about the imbalance, but I think in some ways this levels the playing field because you can now build – a collegiate image anywhere. Yep. You don't need a blue blood program or a program that's going to the playoff every year or all that. You don't need that to build a brand before you can go pro. You can now build your brand within any university as long as they have, you know, some sort of decent foundation. Um, so in that way it does level the playing field in my opinion, because 
you know, you can go to a Virginia Tech and and build your brand, and it be it be something that's, um, you know, kind of a, a national or at least a, a regional um, brand, yeah, you know, big deal before before you leave college. You don't have to go to a Clemson or an Alabama or an Ohio State or an Oklahoma to do that anymore. Very true. Very true. All right, Brian. We've been talking about doing this for six months. <laughs> Playoffs. Playoffs. First of all, we need to get the attorneys on the phone because clearly the CFP committee somehow hacked some of our conversations for the last... Stole by design, you son of a bitch. Legitimately stole Brian's <laughs> design. I'm not, we're not, I'm not kidding. Like Brian had talked probably 2019, maybe 2018. Yeah, it was as early like, as 2018. You were like 12. And I was like, nah, six. And you're like, no, 12. And Brian began laying things out, and you were talking about home games, and you were talking about conference champions, and you were talking about 1G5. You were talking about the rankings and the committee. Legitimately, everything they're doing is literally what Brian's plan was. Now, let's get into the questions, because obviously the last three or four days, there's been a lot of Twitter arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff um, on the timeline. I don't know if you guys saw it. You know, other conversations behind the scenes. But let's go ahead and start off. Me and Brian are both for 12. 12 is the answer. Sorry, not six and definitely not eight. So why not eight, Brian? Because you had that argument already. There's several reasons why not eight. Um, the first reason is that if you go eight, you're pretty much more or less every year, you're saying, I'm cool with three SEC teams in the college football playoff. Number two, unless you mandate a G5 school being included, you're probably excluding a G5 team from your playoff. Number three, you're eliminating the probability of having any sort of college football playoff home games from the scenario because there's enough bowls out there where they would not let that happen for the eight team. Those are my big three. I mean, there's several other points that we can talk about, and I'm gonna let, we're gonna kind of go through some of these other other item, items here. The big one being the six conference championships, uh, conference champions. Sorry. So yeah. we're talking about more than likely in a given year, you're gonna have the five Power Five champions and the highest ranked G5 champion. Yeah, which is something I love because you're automatically including at least one G5. And I know some people are going to be like, this is nothing, but it's something. They get a seat at the table, and that's one thing I like. The other thing I don't like about eight is if you look at eight and you look back through the years of the you know, the CFP, if you're looking at only eight teams, you're probably only looking at about roughly the top 15, maybe top 12. Like, we feel like we might can get in. You go to 12, Brian. And I did this scenario. Me and you ran through the scenario. 2016, and I know that was a great year for the Hokies. Week 10 is the beginning of November. I would scroll all the way down. There was a team 23 that was 7-2. and Going to the final weeks, there were some 10 and nine win teams that would have made a 12 team playoffs. 
legitimately beginning of November, you are giving anyone in the top 25 a legitimate shot to get in. What does that mean, Brian? What does that mean? It means that more people have hope later in the year. It means that from a, and this, this is my downstream thought here from a recruiting standpoint, there we go. say it. If I have a chance to make the college football playoff, if, if I, if I'm looking at teams that have a chance to make the college football playoff, there's no way that hurts recruiting. Nope. It it's, it, it's a definite, it's a definite bump. It's a definite bump to those teams that are consistently in the, let's say top, top 20. Consistently yeah. in the top 20, you're essentially one more win away from putting yourself in the conversation to make the playoff. Uh-huh. If you're a top 20 team, if you're one win better that next year, you're in the conversation to make the college football playoff at 12. That opens up a lot more opportunity for these kids to get on the national stage and show their talent. Yes, that that matters. That matters. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. Um, and it's it's not just enough to be in the bowl game anymore because the bowls have already been diminished significantly Big time. since we went to four. Yes, it is. And the, I mean, at this point, there's no going back to two. So, no. In that scenario, twelve will help create a little bit. More, I'm not saying a lot. I'm not saying we're going to go to all, all of a sudden. There's not going to be. You know, four or five teams that are significantly on paper better than everybody else. That's not going to change overnight. But what is going to change if you can, if you can nick two or three players off of every all those rosters and spread those out over the next seventeen. That over time, that's going to pay some dividends. It's big dividends. And that's why I see somebody like Dabo Sweeney. He's coming out saying, "Oh, there's not 12 good enough teams we play all, uh, and and my players only play all." No, Dabo. What he's worried about is when he walks into the 217th player's home and tries to sell. Well, that's cool, Coach. But you know, this team down the road here, they want me too. They were 14 yeah. last year. They need a they need a number two wide receiver. I can do that this year. And he loses out. The blue blood lose a little bit of depth. The 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 five to twenty team gains a better player. To me, it is a self-leveling off of college. Is it gonna take is it gonna be perfect? No. But to have more people at the table, football's a sport, anything can happen. We've seen it. Yep. We've seen it in our lifetime. Good Lord. Hail Marys, the Appalachian State game against Michigan. Hell, the Virginia Tech JMU game. Jesus Christ! I mean, let's go another step and let's go Boise in the uh, in the um, New Year's game. What was it yeah. Rose Bowl? Boise, yeah. Boise in Oklahoma. Yeah, and and then it comes to a point too that you know a point was made to be by someone today that well we've seen five twelve and like six uh, ten and all this and it's like. Yeah, but that's at a bowl game. There is nothing on the line. There is yeah. nothing on the line. We don't know how the teams are going to react under pressure, knowing that I win this game, I go play next week. You also that's aren't going to see the opt-outs that you have. None. You won't see them. Yeah. 
you will see. So, so I mean, anybody that has something to play for is not going to see opt outs. Um, so that that'll help them not only, and I mean financially. I mean, you're you're talking about potentially playing two to three extra games. Um, yeah. And I know, you know, Dabo's word. Well, we already played enough games, or who I forget who was it that said that. It was Dabo. It was yeah. It was Dabo. Dabo. Okay, so I mean, sure. You, you, you play an extra game, maybe two, but you play an extra game at eight anyway. So anyone advocating for eight, I mean, there's already an extra game thrown in there anyway. Yep. And, and it's also something with Dabo. He also knows. Did Dabo ever make it when it was two teams? No, he never made a BCS game. Dabo hasn't made it until it went to four. But essentially what you're doing is you're giving a lot more people a swing. And the way football is, we go to the NFL wild card weekend and divisional weekend are some of the wildest weekends when literally the teams we feel are the best teams, right? That's, that's the best team in the league right there. They ain't going to lose, and they lose. Now, they're a better team than that wild card team because you're talking about the way we kind of envision it is we would have conference championship week the next week we're playing. One week to prepare, not a month, not three weeks. One week to prepare, go play, go go beat that guy. Well, my guy got banged up in the conference championship game, and he's out. Too bad, so sad. Go play. And then for the one through four teams, you're looking at probably a three-week layoff, which is that, to me, Brian, you tell me how you feel. Three weeks is that sort of yeah, ground. It's not enough time to get super prepped because you have to wait a whole week before you figure out who you're playing. And yep. if a guy's got a high ankle, he ain't going to be ready. So well, you don't this, get the super prep and then you, you get the, just the time off in general is, is, is probably, so there, there's some built in lag, even for the people with the buy. Um, and I mean, let's talk about another thing. Let's talk about independence. What is this going to do with Notre Dame in particular? Because I, I don't know if, if everyone read it, but it says conference champions. Conference champions. Get the first six seeds. Well, no, no, no. Not the first six seeds. Sorry, the first four seeds. You could only get the buy. Sorry. Conference championships, conference championship champions can only get the buy. Yeah. Thus, Notre Dame will never get a buy. Notre Dame, for them, though, they will always get a week break. Look at that one week of rest. So it's sort of a little favor for them. Um, but to never get a buy, that stinks in a way, right? Because if you if you if you just had, you know, they usually play it used to be they play USC or Stanford late, going into an absolute Donnie Brook with somebody, coming out banged up. I mean, we get a week break. We need two. We need three. We need a month. Never can do it. Um, you know. People that keep saying, I go back to this, wrong. Non-power can never get a buy is wrong. If they are the fourth <laughs> seed, Robbie, they can get a buy. <laughs> Call out. Probable, but probably not possible ever. <laughs> well, I'm saying the, the problem that I have is that, you know, yeah. he's talking about non-power five can never get a buy right now non-power five doesn't even have a seat at the table 
this gives them a seat. Like this at least gives them something to work for every year. Yeah. If you're the best G5, I mean, and potentially too, if, 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 you know, Pac-12 has a down year, Big 12 has a down year. Yes. I mean, you, you, you might end up having two teams, like you get a Memphis or a UCF or, um, shit. What Anybody year was it, Brian? Are we go, we're going to go some, I got to do some research here. Was it 2010? I'm trying to type here. 2010, I think, was the funky year. The 2010. 2010 was the year. This is the way it would have looked. You ready? First four buys. This is based on BCS poll. Auburn, Oregon, TCU, Stanford would have got the buy. The next conference championships was Ohio State was a conference champion. Oklahoma was a conference champion. Boise State would have made it in that year. So for them, this helps if 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 the Power Five has a down year and you can get there, you potentially get two. Like See, I said, at least get, at least gives one a seat at the table just by the fact that you have six, not five, that get automatic bids. Okay, so you know, I, I sit here. And I, it, it, it's to me, you, you look at it and it, it, it's more positive than negatives. The only negatives people are trying to say, these are the two negatives. There's not enough good teams, which I say you have to play games. Yep. Let it, let it be decided on the field. It's less than 10% of all college football teams making the playoffs. It is essentially, and then those 12 teams, they get to go into the recruits home and says, we are – the best 10%. We are the best of the best right now in college football. We made the playoff. Whether you win a game or you don't, we're the best of the best in college football. Um, I think it'll be interesting, probably the biggest piece where it's going to be interesting, and me and you are harping on this, talk about the Bulls, because it's looking like the Bulls are just ramrodding themselves in there. Just do two home games, folks. Correct. La- yep. True that too. Cincinnati and Coastal last year would have actually both got in. Um, would have both got in. Because at the end of the year, Cincinnati was eight. Coastal was 12. And I think all the conference champions were up in the top here because Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Cincinnati was actually the conference championship ahead of that. So they both would have been in. So there's two seats at the table in 2020. But the home games, Ron, they're talking about first rounds. The five through 12 are going to be playing each other. Love it. They got to take it a step further. Just make the first two round home games. And I know the Bulls are going to, they're going to want to fight that like crazy. But it's like to be a fan. And to say, if Virginia Tech were to ever make this, right? Yep. And, you know, we try to go to one, maybe two games a year. It's tough for us. But those fans who do make that commitment, have that sort of money. Can you imagine, first of December, we want you to travel to Orlando. Two weeks from now, we want you to travel to Texas. Oh, you guys keep winning. Now you need to go to the Rose Bowl. Oh, and the championship's in Indy. How many people can afford to do that? How many people actually have the time to do that in a seven-week span? Yep. Not many. 
and so, I, I I think having the hubs is going to solve some of that. Um, well, yeah, if and they if they do it, um, you know, where you yeah, have a cluster right. a cluster of bowls that are in the same yeah. geographic region, uh, I think that'll help. But uh, it's not going to solve everything. And now they're already talking about potentially not doing the the first round at home. And if they if they do that, then I'm less on board with the system. I still think 12 is a better number than eight for a lot of reasons, but the home game is one of the big draws for me. Having that atmosphere at the FBS level is unbelievable. Is something that we haven't seen yet. Having a home game matter like that. And I I I think that that's something that I think would be really great for college football. Um, So getting, getting away from the home game. I mean, imagine like, you know, you know, we talk about the, the 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 big guys like the LSU's or something hosting. What if, you know, what if Cincinnati like last year could have hosted one? Like that's a big fucking deal for them. Huge deal. Well, what what about this? What about you know a team like Wisconsin gets to host a team like Georgia in Madison in December? There's so many kids on the Georgia team that have never seen snow in their life, and they walk in. It's like, coach, it's like it's saying negative zero. What does that mean? Or saying negative four. What does that mean? It's cold. It's going to be windy. It's not going to be a fun game to play. You're going to hurt. That would be amazing. And I also think you talk about the Bulls keep fighting it. Here's an idea. Why don't you just sponsor that particular playoff game? Yep. Let that be your playoff game. And we're talking about these this playoff round being the first week of December, so it would still be during most campuses fall they semester. Would. Yes, they would. It would Although, be essentially at, at what's that? Who wouldn't go back? Yeah. Playoff game and you're out of school. Man, screw that. I'm staying. I'm just gonna I'll crash in the buddy's apartment. But either way we look at it. A, it's a step forward because if you go back and look through the history and we went, you know, you look 95 to 11, Tech would have made it every other year, eight of 16 years. And Fuente said it the other day, it might not be the best thing for college football in general, but it's great for Virginia Tech. Yep. And I'm still back with you on the recruiting thing. I think that's the piece why Dabo and certain people will be so against it because – there is a the, the blue bloods can no longer say we're the only people that have this seat at the table. Exactly. We 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 have a a essentially a lockdown on I mean really there's about six teams that have some sort of right out the gate you know that they're going to be in the conversation at the end of the year. Yeah. And they they can leverage that in recruiting every single fucking year. Yes, they can. And it's just one of those things that you start letting more people get to the table, be more, few less plates for those guys. And I think, again, that's why Dabo is so against it. I haven't heard Saban say anything. I haven't heard like Kirby Smart or Lincoln Riley. I think some of these guys would understand, well, hey. We the gotta- only one that's like a mid-tier that is spoken out against it is Mac Brown, but. What did Max say? I haven't I haven't heard Max. Uh, he said, "Well, he said uh, his players didn't like the idea of playing extra games, and that they didn't think that there were 12, 12 good enough teams to make it." Can I say something? 
Those guys don't want to play in the NFL then because the NFL now you might have to play 22 games or 21 games to win a Super Bowl. It's true. <laughs> so do you want to – that would be the first question I'd ask you. So are you all going to play in the NFL? Oh, yeah, they're going to make, give me millions of dollars. Oh, okay. But you have to play 21 so, games. Now, and I'm going to say this. So I'm, we're talking about the difference between bowl games – in a college football playoff game. All right, so a bowl game, I get. So unless you are playing for something, there's not a lot of incentive to want to play an extra game, put your body through the practice time, through the preparation, all that stuff. But if you are playing for a chance to win a national title, I can't understand how I would not want to be a part of that. Exactly. The maximum amount of games you would play is 17. That is a typical NFL season. So that's nothing. And to say there's not 12 teams out there, man, every time I hear somebody say that, it's like you have to play games. Crazy well, thing. We already talk about in the conferences, they're not, they're not playing enough games to accurately depict who the conference uh, representative should be, let alone – you know who's going to rep be the four. I mean, we we can we can talk all we want to about. Well, yeah, they look good on paper, or yeah, they they pass the eye test, or this, that, and the third, and we see it. But until you play the game, you don't really know. You don't know the eye test. They're better in every aspect. They're going to kill them by five touchdowns. They've also had four weeks off. The players who are really banged up aren't ready to go. And now we're talking rust. I can tell you a lot of Super Bowl games that if you trusted the eye test or what Patriots sure. said, you'd have a lot different outcome. You damn right by that. All right, Brian. Anything breaking as we sit here, other than we've been going well over ninety minutes, which is not shocking because your boys hadn't done this in two weeks. We're, we're catching up, guys. We had a lot of news, and we wanted to really kind of go into the name, image, and likeness and playoff thing a little bit deep here just because it had been burning on us for a while. So here we are. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us for for a little over uh, 90 minutes here, appreciate approaching 100 here. Approaching 100 minutes. Appreciate the messages, guys, from all of you out there. Send those in when we do these lives. We'll address them if we can. Don't try to throw us off our game, though. We, we are somewhat <laughs> focused and – not quite drunk enough. There we go. <laughs> so that is going to wrap up this episode. They're not that drunk. We're They're not, not that, that drunk. drunk. That's going to wrap up this episode <laughs> of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at boundarycornerbt.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon. And Apple Podcasts, if you're looking to join the Hokie Club and help achieve the Reach for Excellence campaign goal, please visit BoundaryCorner.com forward slash giving to get started. As always, without our buddy Jason Long, play us out. Catch him on Spotify, Apple Music. We thank you always for listening and watching. And as always, let's go. Hokies.